cover crops, are they the future for healthier soils? The direction of travel, the way we're being steered, the agricultural bill, it's all about soil health. So is cover crops, are cover crops one of the answers to that that conundrum? This week on the programme, we're on the Monitor Farm of Colin Chapel, and we'll also hear from AHDB about the importance of such farms. We have a farmer here who's pre- prepared to give some new ideas a go. Uh, take the risk and others are very happy seeing him take that risk <laughs> to, to be honest I was trying to run away from it as fast as I could I thought it was going to be very very scary I thought the, the guys coming to criticise critique what I was doing and, and to talk to me about it I was a bit scared by that all The Week in Agriculture This is The Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale Hello. It's a brave farmer who's willing to not only try a few new ideas and take a few risks, but also to then invite fellow farmers to pay a visit and see whether the risks have paid off or whether it was all one big costly mistake. Well, that's kind of what Monitor Farms do for AHDB, the Agricultural and Horticultural Development Board. There are farmers dotted around the country doing just that. We'll meet one of them in a moment. First, Martin Grantley-Smith. He's director responsible for cereals and oilseeds at AHDB. The great thing about Monitor Farms is that it's farmers talking to farmers. Uh, We have a farmer here who's prepared to give some new ideas a go. Uh, take the risk and others are very happy seeing him take that risk <laughs> and uh, and he's shown us uh, on cover crops uh, a range of different products and and some of them have done well some haven't and it's good to see and share that information it's good to t- you know that farms are taking those risks and trying out new ideas because yeah. we need to don't we yeah f- farmers have always done research work only it hasn't been classified as that all farmers try things on their farms and it's very important they do because where we do national trials they only cover certain circumstances and the great thing about the farmer doing it is actually putting it in his own situation it's the soil, it's the atmosphere, uh, altitude and so on but also what he's trying to get out of his, his rotation so it's really important that he gives it a go in his immediate situation. And, and events like this, obviously, is a chance to share that experience to, well, almost test what he's doing on the farm. Yes, yes, it does. And, and hopefully it'll encourage the other farmers here to also try it. Now, a lot of them are doing trials all the time anyway. But the important thing here is that there's some new ideas coming in uh, and people are seeing them in action. They can then go and try that themselves at home uh, next year. Free HDB, what kind of year has it been, would you say, if you had to sum it up? <laughs> There's been greater variation and volatility than than I've seen in a a long, long time. And we've seen not just regional effects, but in field effects as well. So one end of the field has been different from the other. It's been very, very difficult to draw very many conclusions from from what has happened in the last year or so. Uh, It just tells us all the time that farming is about managing risk. And the really successful farmers, the ones who who spread their risk and and react in real time to, to what's going on, there's only certain, certain things you can do, but farmers that, that spread their risk have a, have a range of different crops, a range of different rotations, are probably more able to cope in the longer term. And that's very important. Don't look at one year in, in isolation. It's been a bad year. Look over the last five years, not quite so bad. But what we are seeing is, is continual volatility. The norm is becoming more volatile than, than, it, than it ever used to be. There's a load of information out there to help people, so do use that uh, and take advice and come to meetings like this and listen to what other people are doing, because that seems to be the best way to learn. And that is the case, isn't it? There is all the information out there, but a lot of people don't necessarily realise it, or maybe don't have the time to look at it, or just aren't no, looking right. for it. You, you've got to be 
selective. Pick out the information that suits your, your particular circumstance. We are getting better at turning it into farmer-friendly information. There are more tools out there to help you make those decisions because this is all about supporting decision-making, both financial and, and, and technical. And what we're trying to do is bring those two together all the time to make it as easy, easy as possible for the farmer who has to make the decision to, to make that decision. And that's what we're trying to do. That's Martin Grantley-Smith at AHDB. Well, the guest speaker at the recent Monitor Farm gathering at Colin Chapel's farm at Hibblestow was Phil Jarvis, head of farming at Leicestershire's Allerton Project. Sometimes giving a presentation to an audience of farmers, you get as much back as you give out. So that exchange of uh, farmer to farmer knowledge is great for, for, for learning about things that are going on in soil. And you're talking about uh, cover crops particularly today. I mean, soil health seems to be, everyone's talking about it at the moment. It's been almost the year of talking about health and harmony and the environment. Yeah, and soil is a conduit for a lot of things, growing our crops, but also things that pass through like water and keeping water clean. And it's part of a big system, part of, a, part of um, food production, part of looking after the environment, that balance. So it is really key. And, and cover crops themselves, a lot of farmers still seem resistant to to cover crops or unsure about them. Why, why do you think that is? Well, I think A, there's a lot of different farmers on different soil types with different farming systems. And I think really uh, gathering that knowledge and then going back and trying them on their own farms. And sometimes you have to do a number of things, so not just cover crops, but maybe reducing your tillage, uh, maybe bringing some livestock in, a whole host of things I can do. But really, it, it's personal experience and a bit of patience as well. And you say it is about, you know, we all need to keep our soil, don't we? Without the soil, we're not uh, going to be farming much more. Yeah, uh, I mean... if if you can't get excited about soil, because that, that you can't get excited about farm really, because it's, it's really good for growing your crops and, and uh, growing food, and it's our shop floor, you know, it, it, it's what, you know and, and, and populations need sustaining on mostly food is growing through soil, so looking after it is really key. What do you make of what uh, Colin's doing here on this farm? You know, he's, he's really trying a few ideas out, isn't he? Yeah, and he's got some big farm scale. Within his uh, fields, he's got mm. some big farm scale plots as well, so other, other growers can come and have a look at his experiences. And also, um, the way we farm, the way we farmed for 40 years, isn't necessarily the way we're going to farm for the next 40 years. So I think anybody who's trying new things with the support of AHDB, which is, is the organisation which is helping him, has got to be good for him and he, he, I'm, I know I'm really I think it's great the things he's doing what about um, the year how's the year been for you would you say yeah um, we were talking about soil and, and really um, creating resilience we've seen some pretty bad weather patterns so that you know the beast for the east mm-hmm. and the drought conditions so we've had we've had a, a challenging harvest you know with drought as well drying out some of our heavy clay soils which are less prone to but I think with the with the reduced cultivations and the cover cropping, we have seen that our, you know good seed beds this year and l- much better soil resi- resilience. And that's really the, you know, in the year we've had so far and the years to come, we're trying to build up resilience of our soil to cope with all these weather patterns. It's important, isn't it? Because you know the, the stress is going to be there and it's going to be there for years to come by the looks of things from the weather. Yeah, climate change a big issue not just in farming but it really feels it on farming you know and and looking after our soils in that context is really important and of course all the other things that are going on in a political environment though we have to try and find a solution from our politicians about how they want us to farm look after our soils and the big picture is make our soils more resilient for you know our future food that we eat did you say with health and harmony or the agriculture bill environment top of the list the work at allenton it's kind of geared all towards that already before they even started talking about it really isn't it yeah and and we've been doing that for 25 mm. years and and it was seen as a bit 
off the wall when it started, but it's right in central place now. And so, you know, looking at soil health, and, and to me, the mighty earthworm is, is a real strong, you know, it's part of our underground army working, working for the soil. And so now it's really come central to what a lot of farmers are doing, and I am hope we can just pass a bit of that information on. We're not telling anybody how to do it, we're just giving them some of our experience. Phil Jarvis at Allerton. Okay, we've heard from uh, two guests who were invited to the latest Monitor Farm visit. Let's hear from the farmer himself at Hibblestow, the man who has literally thrown open the barn door for all to see the risks he's taken. His name is Colin Chapel. Yeah, but that's part of the Monitor Farm process, is yeah. I am the one that's supposed to take the risks so that other people can see, even if it's something that's wrong. It's, it's that idea of knowledge exchange, so you're, you're sharing ideas with other farmers, and as a Monitor Farmer, you're the one that's supposed to try it out, and then they can come and go laugh at you, or they can go, oh, actually, he's, fine. he's tapped into a good idea then. That's the whole process, is the knowledge exchange. A lot of farmers don't like to share, necessarily. What made you want to be a Monitor Farmer and do that sharing? Uh, to, to be honest, I was trying to run away from as fast as I could. I thought it was going to be very, very scary. I thought the, the guys coming to criticise, critique what I was doing and, and to talk to me about it, I was a bit scared by that all. Because as farmers, as neighbours, we sort of look over the hedge and laugh at them or we go, oh, I might try that. But but in actual fact, it's been more beneficial than, much more beneficial than that. The amount of knowledge and information that I'm giving to people, and more importantly, I'm getting from them, is phenomenal. That, that, that's where we are quite good at, I think, is knowledge exchange. But talking to your neighbour and working with your neighbour is two different things. So. It's, it's important, now more than ever really, that that exchange, that uh, views, that, that sharing of knowledge is being shared, isn't it? Sure, if, if half our income is about to disappear or, or in the immediate future just 10% of our income is about to disappear. So we're going to have to do all these trials, I'm going to have to do all these trials uh, and, and get this information so that in 10 years' time, when we haven't got a, half our income, we then know how to deal, how to tackle with these problems and then, you know, deal with whatever government's in charge at the time. You dealt a lot with uh, cover crops today. There seems to be a lot of interest in that particular topic especially. It is phenomenal. We've got twice the amount of people here as, as normally would have. I, I'm not quite sure why, but the direction of travel, the way we're being steered, the agricultural bill, it's all about soil health. So is cover crops, are cover crops one of the answers to that, that conundrum? It works really well on sandland, and I'm building up organic matter on my sandland. But a lot of these guys are on the heavier soils. How do we make it work for us on the heavier soils? That's one of the things. And is it working for you? I, I'm having phenomenal success. I'm not so sure on the, the heavy land just yet, but I'm getting ideas. This whole day has given me other ideas that I can trial on the farm, yes. Yeah. And what kind of year has it been generally here on this particular land, on this particular farm? Um, He's laughing, because you can't see his face. Um, um, I've been told to build a positive spin on it, <laughs> so it has been appalling. It's been a horrible, horrible, horrible year. And that's a positive spin, yeah? yeah. That's the positive <laughs> side to it. No, the harvest was easy, wasn't it? The harvest was easy. The cultivations have been easy for the crop we're about to grow, but a crop that was in the ground that we've just harvested wasn't very clever at all, no. Approaching New Year, what's your hopes for uh, 2019? It'd be nice to get to Brexit, wouldn't it, at this rate? But... Um, I think the key thing I'm trying to do is get my business, my whole structure, my soils, my accounts, uh, the whole environment in inverted commas that I'm working for in a better structure so that whatever comes of the Brexit deal, of the agricultural bill, I can 
deal with it and I can make it work for me and my family. It's kind of second guessing what might come, but it's, it, it needs to be done, doesn't it? It's, it's better than sitting on your hands, right? If you just bury your head in the sand and hope something's going to going to go in your favour, I, I, that's a negative attitude to me. Let's be positive about this. <laughs> to tell you about my harvest. Uh, let's be positive about it. Let's try and create the change now so that we can implement whatever we have to. Finally, back to monitor farms. You know, there are monitor farms right across the country. If there's one near you, I guess the advice would be go along to it, yeah? Uh, the, 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 yes, definitely, absolutely. There's, one, there's a guy, John Miller, at Newark. Um, there's a guy just at the top side of the water to us at Driffield area. They're all over the place, yes. Um, you just take one snippet of information away from one meeting, you've gained already, haven't you? Colin Chappell on his AHDB monitor farm. There are similar farms dotted right around the country. It is worth finding out when the next meeting is taking place, if only to have a nosy around a neighbour's farm. Uh, You'll find full details on the AHDB website. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. Well, it's just over a week now until the big day. So are things slowing down for Christmas for our agronomist Sean Sparling? Morning, Sean. I wish. Things aren't really slowing down for me at all at the moment and I know we're approaching Christmas and it's beginning to feel a lot like that but to be quite honest out in the field it's beginning to feel a lot like spring because we keep getting these little mild spells of weather the land is mineralizing and releasing nitrogen the crops are still growing like bilio the weeds are still growing and coming through so there's still quite a lot of attention to detail needed out here in the field. Now, we've got issues just over the last seven days. We've started to see pigeons discovering any bits of seed rate which are that little bit more backward than the rest. If the rabbits have already had a go or the cabbage root fly or cabbage stem flea beetle have thinned areas out, we're now starting to see the pigeons devoting all their attention to those areas. So as we get into the run-up to Christmas, remember the rabbits and the pigeons and the deer and the hares and the diseases and the weeds, they don't have a clue and they couldn't care less that it's coming up to Christmas. So now would be a very, very good time to get out into the field in the Orsid Rate, put some flags out, some bangers out, just to make sure that you are keeping ahead of the pigeons and that while you're away for Christmas, they're not going to absolutely decimate the whole thing. Um, slug levels have just increased a tad in one or two places, but really still very, very low levels of activity with slugs. So trapping is still the key and monitoring the worst areas, the knottier areas of the field. And I think the reason we're getting away with it so well this autumn is because we've got such good seed beds. As I've said so many times before, slugs don't channel and burrow through the soil like worms they rely on us to leave craters and gaps and cloddy seed beds well when you get a season like this where the land's worked down so well and we've got such billiard table seed beds in a lot of these fields that's bad for slugs so they seem to be staying down low but just as with pigeons and rabbits and hares don't take your eye off the ball get your slug bait points out monitor the situation if they appear then get out there with some ferrous phosphate or at a push metaldehyde remember not to use metaldehyde within 24 meters of a watercourse. I know it's 10 metres they talk about, but just forget about doing your headlands with metaldehyde. It's hydrophilic, it gets into the water, so if in doubt, use ferrous phosphate. They work really, really well and they only target mollusks, so slugs and snails. 
Apart from that, spend a bit of time over the next few weeks in the office. Get those IPM plans sorted out. Get your NMAX sorted out, your NVZ records. Get all of your records up to date because we're moving into the season of Christmas, but we're also moving into the season of farm inspections. So we'll get less and less agronomy as we go forward. As a summary, winter cereals, a little bit of blackgrass poking through. There's no point putting a pre-em top up on that if the blackgrass is already through because if it's already come through a robust pre-em, you're not going to do an awful lot of good by topping it up with a little sniff more preem. All you will do is stop any more coming. You simply will not touch the stuff that's already through. So make a note of where these areas are in the field. All seed rape disease levels remain relatively low. One fungicide has certainly been enough to hold on to the foamer and the light leaf spot this autumn. Propizamide, now indeed is the time if you haven't already done it. But don't rush it on to waterlogged fields. You've got until the end of January. Use it well and use it at the right time when the drains aren't running and when there's no water standing in the field to get the most out of it. But soil temperatures are certainly now low enough for propizomide to work well and there is most definitely enough moisture in the top five to seven centimetres of soil to make it work really well. So uh, let's just see how we go next week then, Sean. Good morning. We will indeed. Thank you, Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services. Kit has his last report of the year in a moment. First, the latest water quality update with Kelly Hewson-Fisher from Anglian Water. Good morning. Following the rainfall from the 7th of December, Anglian Water has again seen levels of a number of pesticides increase, such as metaldehyde. Other pesticides include quinmarac in, for example, catamaran turbo, and also flufenacet, and flufenacet being a key active in the blackgrass fight For some farmers, drains have started to flow. It doesn't seem to be many yet, but there are a few. We are due more rain this weekend and with propizomide applications having been made, it is likely that we will see this come through in the next few weeks. As always, and as a reminder, please check if your land is in a surface water or groundwater safeguard zone by using the What's in Your Backyard website. And I have noticed that this will be the last update before Christmas. So I would like to wish you all a very Merry Christmas and all the very best for the new year. Thank you for your feedback with the water quality update so far. And I'll be back in a fortnight with another water quality update. Thanks, Kelly. Her penultimate report of the year, Kelly Hewson Fisher from Anglian Water. On to someone now who's presenting their last report for 2018. Kit Dickinson is here from Open Field. Hello, Kit. Hello, Sean. How are you? I'm okay. How is the year ending then? It's very year ending very quietly, really. <laughs> uh, the only the only thing to report on the on wheat this week is, is the WASDE report came out for 2018-19, and the world wheat production has decreased slightly this week from 733 million to 732 million. All elements of the U.S. wheat S&D remain unchanged with the exception of a reduction in exports. All elements of the EU S&D unchanged with the exception of a reduction in export from minus 1 to minus 22, which produces the corresponding increase in the same amount for the EU wheat ending stocks of 11.23 million. Wheat production remains unchanged for Russia, but has decreased for Australia by 0.5 million to 17 million tonnes and would be the lowest wheat output since 2007-2008. Wheat production remains unchanged for Argentina and 19.5 million, but is raised 0.3 for Canada. Small reduction in global wheat production is often offset by the increase in global wheat beginning stocks and a decrease in global wheat consumption. In the lead-up to Christmas, the focus will be around Brexit and how that affects the pound. 
Old crop has seen a small rise this week, and new crop is still the right side of 150. So if no forward cover has been taken, it may be worth looking at some this side of Christmas. Oilseed rape is still struggling to find direction in the market. The focus is again politics and the large global soil crop. Traders are keeping a close eye on exports and end destinations as this will affect the domestic markets. A quiet week for beans, little market activity. Consumers buying very little, but there is good export demand and a weaker currency is helping prices, although a lack of beans sat in the port side stores is restricting any export opportunity for human consumption. Although there is still good demand for human consumption, please get in contact with your open field farm business manager for exact prices bespoke to your sample. So prices this week, wheat, feed wheat for January, 172 to 174. For March, 174 to 176. For May, 176 to 178. And November 19 for new crop, 155 to 157. Milling premiums are circa 12 to 14 pounds. Feed barley for January is 164 to 166, for March 166 to 168, and May 168 to 170. Harvest 19, 134 to 136. Malting premiums are still in the region of £25. Oilseed rate, January is 320 to 322, March 321 to 323, and May 324 to 326. Beans for January... 214 to 218 with a pound a month carry forward to May. For human consumption prices, again, please contact your open field farm business manager. And that's it from me for 2018. I look forward to my first broadcast in the new year. Merry Christmas and a happy new year to everyone. And the same to you. We'll uh, chat in the new year. Though uh, Kit will also be appearing in a fortnight's time in our farming pantomime. Oh, and there's one more report of the year from Open Field as well. Rebecca will update us and round things up on next week's programme. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Yes, let's turn our attention to the weather then. I'm not uh, particularly a gambling man, but I think it's uh, safe to say that we won't be getting a white Christmas this year. Some parts of the UK might see some snow particularly further up north but i'm, I'm not sure uh, for the most of us we'll be getting a, uh, a white christmas but anyway um, i guess we'll tell you that on next week's program uh, this week well today um, relatively mild actually not too bad six uh, will be the high there is some sunshine though it will cloud over uh, the wind uh, blowing from the south southwest 10 maybe gusting at 20 miles an hour it was a particularly breezy night last night you might have noticed as I say, some cloud overnight, but it will clear after midnight. Early tomorrow, clear skies will push temperatures down to 2. Expect a frost just about everywhere first thing tomorrow. The wind continuing to blow from the southwest at 10 to 15 miles an hour. Some sunshine to start Monday, but it will then cloud over once again. We're looking at highs of 6. That wind from the south southwest, 10, gusting at 20 miles an hour. And then we're in for a rather windy Monday into Tuesday and through Tuesday itself as well. And with the wind blowing from the south, we're looking at uh, about 20 miles an hour. Could even gust at 40 miles an hour, though, first thing on Tuesday morning. That will actually push temperatures up. So we're looking at overnight lows to start Tuesday of 9 or 10 degrees. That's after a daytime high tomorrow of 6 degrees we'll see as i say it is that uh, wind that's uh, through tuesday and then tuesday itself well that uh, wind will continue it uh, could be particularly strong gusts up to 50 miles an hour for a time from the south temperatures around nine degrees there could be some heavy rain to come on tuesday afternoon as well as a result 
Tuesday into Wednesday, it calms down a little bit. That wind from the south-southwest, still gusting at 30 miles an hour for a time, though, generally around 15. It will be drier and some clear skies as well to start Wednesday, pushing temperatures down to around 5 Celsius. And then sunshine through Wednesday, clouding over again in the evening. The wind from the south-southwest, 15, still gusting at 30 miles an hour, so it will be breezy at 7, generally the high. Obviously, in that wind, though, it can feel quite cooler. As for the latter end of the week, well, it looks like it's staying just above the norm, actually. Around 8 could be the daytime high. Overnight lows of uh, 4, 5, maybe 6 degrees. Mostly dry. The possibility of some rain right at the end of the week. And it will stay breezy as well. The wind turning more from the west as we head towards the latter end of the week. So uh, that takes us up to the end of the week and next weekend, as I say, still early to say as to what will happen for Christmas, but um, we have the hourly forecast uh, as ever, as we get ever closer to the big day itself and we'll have more detailed weather for Christmas week on next week's programme. For now though, for this week, that is the forecast. Next week, our final report of this year from Nick Morris at British Sugar on the Beat Campaign. We'll have a last report of the year from Open Field with Rebecca Pierce, And Sean Sparling will help us sum up 2018 as well. Oh, and as it's our last farming programme proper of the year, obviously with the panto the week after, we're talking Christmas trees next Sunday. During the beast from the east last winter, um, on the outskirts of plots, we had a lot of wind scorch, so the browning of uh, branches of the trees facing the northeastern side so I've got a lot of trees that I'm unable to sell this year uh, but I'm hoping will recover I mean we've worked around that problem we've still got ample stock so that's good there's been some some exceptionally large losses one producer I know of planted 180,000 trees on sandland and 140,000 of them died this year as a result of the drought that's all next week until then have a good week's farming